Welcome to the Faith and Culture Now podcast. I'm Scott Schiffer, and today uh, I am joined by a um, social media personality, uh, Josh Kaiser. It's good to have you here with us today. Thanks, God. I appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, and so um, the reason that I have invited you on is because last year I did a series uh, on deconstruction and on uh, just sort of analyzing that from a person's perspective who is not deconstructed, but sort of looking at a lot of the issues that I saw being repeatedly brought up by people who had deconstructed their faith, um, sort of turned away from the faith and so on. And um, in social media world, you've put up a lot of videos uh, sort of explaining some of your deconstruction process, mm -hmm. as well as uh, some of your theological concerns with the faith. And so I thought it would be good uh, this spring after last year's series to have some folks on the show with me who have actually gone through the process of deconstruction mm -hmm. and sort of letting us hear some things from their perspective. Yeah. And so with that being said, I, I wanted to just begin by asking you, what is sort of your process of, you know, what was your process that sort of led you down the path that you went? Yeah, I appreciate that. So I, I think that, uh, at least for me, deconstruction is something it felt like it happened to me and not something that I set out to do necessarily. Um, it's different for every person. Uh, it's, it's typically very hard to even define what it is because the process is just so, it just varies so much person to person. Uh, so with that caveat, for, for me, uh, what it looked like was, um, man, about eight years ago now, um, seeing the shifting political landscape within the church. And I grew up in conservative evangelicalism, um, was a pastor in conservative evangelicalism. Uh, the church that I pastored was a bit more, I would say, middle of the road. We uh, didn't necessarily hold to a lot of what uh, church culture looks like. We were trying to be different. So it was a little bit different. But um, <clears throat> the, uh, the point being that things began to shift within within the church um, from my point of view. And from again, from my point of view, what, what it seemed like was happening was a, a bunch of people who I considered to be very intelligent, um, who I considered to be very uh, strong in the faith, very knowledgeable. Um, and, and just just having that uh, sort of that strong faith that you look at those people and you're like, man, that that's the kind of Christian that I want to be. I saw yeah, a, yeah. a whole bunch of those people um, beginning to shift, again, from my perspective, shift their allegiance from a biblical worldview to a conservative American worldview. Mm -hmm. um, and this is like, I think it's important for me to say that if I compared statements from these church leaders prior to 2015, 2016, to statements after 2015, 2016, there's a sharp disconnect. And so the culture that I had bought into, the culture that I uh, loved and was a part of was something that did very much shift in those few years there. Um, so what happened to me uh, was that that led me to think, okay, the things that I have been taught the things that I have believed for the 30 ish years of my life at that time. Um, if these things are so easily changed, so easily abandoned, um, what, what basis 
is there. I was a pastor. I have some theological training. Um, I was a theology nerd. I have read the systematic theologies. Uh, that was what I did in my, my, my pastime. Like that was my favorite mm -hmm. thing was to think about the things of God. And that was um, something that really inspired me. So I, it's not that I didn't know things, um, but it was more that I accepted things authoritatively. And that's what I began to question was the authority of the people who had, who had wrote the books, who had, who had said those things. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So going back to look at those things, uh, which is very generally speaking, the beginning process of, of deconstruction is a, it usually starts with a reexamination of your faith. Um, and so going back to look at those things, one of the things that I realized um, was that there, I had subscribed to one stream of theology, uh, mm -hmm. which at the time was, uh, I would probably even say, uh, hyper-reformed hyper theology um, sure. at the time, um, was one way of looking at it. And I, again, like I didn't know that, but going back to look at it with fresh eyes allowed me to then um, give respect or be able to listen to other voices in a way that I would have just dismissed beforehand. Mm -hmm. So looking, looking at all of that, I began to realize that the reasons for the sort of core doctrines, core beliefs that I had were because really for 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 me and I think for a lot of people were because that is what I was taught and that's what I loved. And upon re-examination, it that didn't seem there things weren't fitting. Uh the math wasn't mathing. Um <laughs> and so that then led to more questions and more questions. And the thing that I learned the most, I think, in that time was that there are answers that are 2000 years old to questions that are deeply important uh, to the mm -hmm. faith, right? And there's answers that are 500 years old. There's answers that are 100 years old. There's answers that are very prominent in evangelical leadership that are decades old. And mm -hmm. when you see how theology changes and grows over time, which I do think is a good thing, um, it, it erodes your confidence because like it's, it's presented to you as like, this is what it is. And this is what it's always been. But when right. you see the development of it, it becomes something that's like, Oh, I was taught this. I believe this, but we've only started believing in young earth creationism, for instance, for the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, <laughs> what that all does is it kind of just makes you step back and you're like, well, I don't know if we really know anything. <laughs> You know, yeah. like it just, it, it, it very quickly becomes a, these were the answers that worked at a specific time under specific circumstances in specific church movements. And they were important and they were convincing at the time, but now they're not convincing. And now they're, you can kind of see how some of these ideas are actually kind of detrimental, harmful to the faith. Mm -hmm. So I know this is kind of a long wordy answer, but no, that's very helpful. You know, I think there's a lot of things where people get an idea and they sort of start presenting that idea and with very good intentions, mm -hmm. but then later you realize some of the unintended consequences of that idea uh, right. are not actually as good as the idea itself initially was thought to be. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for me, one of the biggest, I think, what I would probably call a tragedy, I guess. One mm -hmm. of the biggest tragedies is that in a lot of our churches, at least here in America, we don't really teach church history. 
Yes. And I think that that is so important because as you said, um, you know, you have been taught sort of one stream of thought. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I don't think that's ill intentioned. I think typically Mm -hmm. churches just think, you know, they, they teach that stream of thought because that's what they believe. So it's not that they're, you know, trying to uh, manipulate or, you know, pull the wool over people's eyes as much, I think, as it is that it's just, this is what we believe. This is what we're going to teach. Right. And that's great, but you're right. It's oftentimes presented like, and this is how it's always been. And right. that's in many cases, not how it's always been. I think there are issues, you know, uh, the um, the death and resurrection of Christ or, you right. know, the Lordship of Christ. Some of those things have been pretty consistent through church history. Agreed. But, um, but a lot of other issues, especially, uh, you know, different ways to evangelize or the proper ways to evangelize. I mean, if you look at um, colonialization, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, essentially sending people to other countries and making them look like your culture and then sharing the right. gospel with them. Uh, now we look at that and go, oh, that was the worst idea. Right. But I think Big the people at the time, just... yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the time, I think a lot of the people that were originally part of that, I don't think that they had the ill intention. I think they were doing what they thought was the right way to do it, but yeah. it wasn't. And so now we don't do it that way, but it's good that that's something we've grown and learned from, but there's a lot of things we haven't grown and learned from, if you will. So, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. I I do. I very much agree with what you said. I I, I think that at least for me and for a lot of people who have deconstructed, um, a lot of people would say that they didn't lose their faith, but their faith deepened and changed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I personally, I relate the most to that. I do personally, I still do believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I do still believe, um, in, in a lot of these kind of core doctrines to Christianity. I, it's funny because I get a lot of flack from atheist TikTok because I'm in this deconstruction space, but I'm still saying I do believe some of this stuff still, right. you know, and, and they're like, what? I, I thought you were an atheist. I was like, no, that's not what this means. But, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I, I do very much agree with that. And your, your first statement that we don't teach church history. I think is probably, for me at least, the biggest issue within the church. Um, I I had a whole series in which I talked about um, uh, atonement theories and mm-hmm. how many different atonement theories there are. And there's people, there's there's Christians in there who are like, this is heresy. And I was like, well, if you say it's heresy, then for the first thousand years of the church, the ransom theory was the big theory. That's so right. you're saying that they're not Christians. If you're if that's your position, you know, so th- there's a, there's a dramatic lack of, of education. And I think, you know, if I'm thinking back to the, like when I was a pastor, much like you said, it's, it's well-intentioned. It's not ill-intentioned. You're, you're standing there as a pastor. You're thinking, I know Mary just lost her husband of 60 years. I know, uh, Jessica is struggling with dating relationships. She's 16. I know that blah, blah, blah has problems raising his kids. So you, when you get up on a Sunday morning, you're, you're not thinking, you know, what you need to know is a little bit of church history. You know, that's right, not right. what is on <laughs> the priority of your mind. And, uh, but again, because there are, it is, it is well-intentioned. However, there are some really important consequences to that lack of education. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, sort of along that same vein is the idea of how do you teach scripture and, you know, I mean, you have, you know, the big debate, of course, is that there's the topical preachers and the exegetical preachers. Well, right. you can preach exegetically and topically at the same time, but right. that's beyond the point. False um, dichotomy. You know, right. But um, the, the question is, well, how do you go about really determining, you know, which scriptures to, to cover in the pulpit? And um, then as you cover those scriptures, 
how do you, uh, you know, how do you deal with those different? Well, let me back up. There are a number of texts in scripture that have multiple interpretations. And yeah. so then it's, well, how do you deal with that from the pulpit? Do you say, well, there's four major views on this, and this is the one I think is most likely accurate, or do you just simply teach the one you think because of your limited time and um, you know, not wanting to confuse people and other things of that nature? So Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever I did that as a pastor, cause I got nerdy. I love, I love that stuff. Like here's the four different, I-, I love that stuff. And there was always 10 people who would be like, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. And then there's like 90 people who are like, that didn't make any sense to my life at all. <laughs> you're just, right. Right. You're like, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you can't please everybody. Right. I mean, there's, there's never a time when you preach and everybody's like, yes, this was the best. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So I, one of my other questions for you is that, mm-hmm. you know, as you begin to sort of work through things and think to yourself, okay, what I assumed was right, or what I just bought hook, line, and sinker, now that I'm questioning that, um, it, I guess my question is for you, you know, how did you sort of parameter that in? How did you not just go, mm-hmm. well, everything's up for grabs? Or did you say, well, everything's up for grabs? What do I, <laughs> what do I really want to hold on to here? Yeah, I I think um, what I was really guided by was what what was it about Christianity that was so appealing and and compelling for me, because I am still compelled by some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had to get down to like, what is the most like basic component? Again, deconstruction is what kind of the word implies. What what is the most basic components of this? Um, And for, for me, again, this is a highly individualized process. But for me, what was the most appealing was a, a very evangelical idea, which is like this, you have this personal relationship with God. He's readily accessible to you. You you can talk to him. He talks back. You, you can have this sort of relationship with God. I was never at, I think at no point was I ever ready to ditch the idea of God. Mm-hmm. And, I, and there's, there's so many people that I dialogue with online. There are so many people for whom the very idea of God is just triggering and they, they can't even they can't even begin to think about it without it triggering just a whole cascade of like negative church experiences. So yeah. for them, they, they just get rid of it. Um, and there, there's people who for intellectual reasons do that as well, but um, I don't want to overgeneralize, but uh, for me, it was just never, I was never ready to do that. Um, and so for me, what, what uh, towards the end of me being a pastor, um, what was the most engaging um, was, uh, more like a, a missed Christian mysticism. Um, you know, you have, uh, most recently Thomas Merton, um, Richard Rohr, who is again, very recent. Um, and then sort of like the medieval mystics, uh, Meister Eckhart, um, St. Teresa of, of Avila, um, you know, Teresa of Lisieux, <laughs> all those, um, who, who, when they talked about God, it, it, there's a little bit of, here's what the Bible says, and that's what it means. But it's 99% is I had this crazy experience with right. God himself. And to me, that was what was most appealing. So that's really like where I've landed is more in the Christian mystic sort of sort of realm. I love contemplative prayer. 
Um, I love the idea of walking through the world, um, thinking that God is in this person who's right in front of me right now and in, in, in the line in front of me in the checkout. And I'm frustrated that they bought a hundred different items and they're, they're trying to figure out you know how to cover it all because yeah. it's wasting, <laughs> wasting my time. But God is in that person. Um, and I also just love the idea. I'm very, uh, love nature very much. Um, and so, you know, hiking is a big thing for me, uh, backpacking, uh, getting in those spaces seems to me to be one of the most spiritual experiences that I personally can have. And mm-hmm. so, um, so it's very much where I, where I've landed is, um, I've heard, uh, different theologians, philosophers talk about, uh, panentheism, um, is that okay? Is it not Okay. Um, and there's so many debates about that, but where I've really landed is like the, the idea that God is in everything true omnipresence, right. Is probably the most compelling idea for me personally. And so I never sat down and thought, what are the parameters here? And I Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever sat down and thought I'm going to get rid of everything. It was more like this to me seems to be the truest. If there is a God, this, this would be the God that I would, that I would worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to, to begin to explore that. So that was kind of the process yeah. there. That makes sense. Um, and you know, you're talking about, this is a very deeply personal thing. You yeah. know, I can imagine, you know, someone with, with your background and, you know, in your circumstances being, you know, the, the way you've done things being that way, you know, someone who grew up in a very Pentecostal church is going to be very mm-hmm. different than someone who grew up in a you know, Southern Baptist Church. And so right, right. Uh, there's going to be some similarities, I think. Uh, but the idea of deacon, and, and the other thing you mentioned is, you know, the idea of deconstruction isn't just, you know, uh, there's no God anymore, right? Right. Um, and I think that's important because when a lot of people who haven't deconstructed here deconstruct, one of the first things they think of is you've just jumped ship and abandoned the faith. Right. And, you know, some have, many have not. it's funny because in my experience, I mean, I was kind of surprised starting to make TikToks and stuff. I thought I was going to be dialoguing with a lot of ex-church members who are now atheists. The vast majority of people who I talk to, they all say it's some version of, I don't want to believe like I used to believe, but I do still want to believe. Um, And so, and that is, I, I mean, again, it's kind of shocking to me because I also had that thought of deconstruction. Like this is an atheist space. It's mm-hmm. not, it's very much, there are some there, but it's not like that's the the main thing. Yeah. And I find that um, for at least a lot of the folks that I've dialogued with, it, it seems like when they don't want to believe the way they had believed, a lot of it has to do with, um, more church tradition and, um, human practice, uh, more so than theological conviction, if you will. And I mean, there is a little bit of theological conviction in it, I think for Mm -hmm. everyone, but, uh, uh, it seems at least what leads a lot of people to deconstruct to begin with is seeing inconsistencies, incongruent, uh, you know, incongruent ideas or practices in their churches where they think something here is not adding up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that like with, for like theological stuff, the things that get questioned are the the, the theological dogmas that don't necessarily uh, no, don't necessarily align with what people feel like they signed up for. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I mean by that is that I think in the and again, this is just my experience, but in the 90s, early 2000s, what people were 
loving about Christianity and loving about church was the emphasis on loving your neighbor, um, was the emphasis on uh, caring for the poor, caring caring for the the, the less uh, yeah. fortunate, like that kind of stuff. So then you have this major cultural shift where you know you have. I mean, I, I had a deacon in uh, one of my churches who had an F Joe Biden sign on his oh, wow. uh, back, um, his back fence, which faced one of the major like road arteries into the city and mm-hmm. it major, huge cross in the front F Joe Biden sign in the back. Right. And to me, like that is just the best expression of what it felt like was going on. Yeah. Um, and so what triggers that deconstruction and what triggers that reexamination and questioning of those doctrines is that that those two things don't make sense. <laughs> you know, no, they don't. I'm in Christianity because I love the I love the Jesus who uh, when the, the the woman who had the bleeding disorder said he says, who touched me? And she says, I did. And he has kindness and mercy and grace for her the woman who's caught in adultery he he casts everybody else away right the jesus who gave his life for everybody else to be saved like that was what was compelling to this group of people and then you have this again you have the switch and to them it it just doesn't make sense anymore and uh you're you're, i think you're spot on uh with the it's church practices and dogmas and ideas that some of them are very old some of them are more new but they don't they sort of conflict with these values that for me and a lot of those like me, it feels like we were raised with, mm-hmm. uh, feels like we were told this is who Jesus is. And then we just didn't think about the things like the, the, the eternal conscious torment. We didn't think about that. It was just like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, you know, that doesn't make sense, but I don't want to, I don't want to think about it. All of a sudden you're forced to think about it because it's in your face, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think for so many people will point to 2016, 2015 as like the time when this started for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I see that from a lot of Christians who have and have not deconstructed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, even Christians going, you know what, I found myself in 2016 without a political party yeah, because I didn't like what was happening on either side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, you have a lot of those same Christians saying, and I also started having an issue with my church because it felt like the church is becoming more political than mm-hmm. spiritual. And to me, that's, you know, I mean, that's a huge red flag. You know, our allegiance yeah. is to Christ. It isn't to this party or that party or to the White House or the United States or, you know, whatever else. And, you know, I mean, I remember 20 years ago, uh, I gave a lecture on, um, you know, essentially I said, I think on 4th of July Sunday, it's okay to recognize some things about our country, but I don't think you should be singing all patriotic songs in your worship service. Yeah, dude. (laughs) And, uh, you know, people back then were just like, you know, oh, yeah, it's not really a big problem. But now you fast forward to like what happened in the, you know, last five or six years and Mm -hmm. you're going, this is why we shouldn't have been doing that 20 years ago because it led into all of this other stuff that is nowhere in scripture. And, you know, you look at the, the text of scripture about, um, how to interact with the government. And you realize that everything Peter and Paul wrote was during a time when they were not in a friendly government. And they still said (laughs) things like, you know, respect your government, Mm -hmm. you know, honor honor the the emperor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, even John, when he's arrested says, you know, Hey, you told us not to speak about Jesus. We're going to speak about Jesus. You can arrest us again. We'll, we'll be compliant. Whatever you say, we'll submit to your rule but we mm-hmm. have to follow what we've been convicted to do. And yeah, absolutely. so, you know, compare that to, uh, you know, let's go Brandon and other things that Christians shouldn't really be 
just embracing and, you know, all gung ho about. And, and you're right. like, there is definitely a disconnect here. And none of that reflects the love of Christ for mm -hmm. neighbor for you know, for others or, you know, even for God. And, yeah. uh, you know, you mentioned earlier recognizing that, uh, you know, God's in everyone. And this idea of, uh, you know, for me, I would say, you know, God is, uh, God has created all people in his image. Yes. And yeah. so as such, when you mistreat someone else, no matter whether you agree with them or not, or like them or not, right. you're mistreating someone created in God's image, uh, mm -hmm. who is equal with you in the eyes of God. And there's no place for that in the Christian faith. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and I think, you know, somebody asked me recently, what, what is the big, what, is, what do you think is like the main criticism you have for the evangelical church? Cause I, I make a lot of videos about this. Um, and after I thought about it for a little bit, the, the answer that I came to, uh, that makes the most sense for me is that when it, when I look at the, the state of the evangelical church in America, um, what it looks like to me is that there are conservative cultural values that they hold more dear than traditional Christian values. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's very important because it's, it really gets to, um, how, what the expression of their religion, which is intensely political right now and, and very much filled with. Uh, a lot of anger, rage, hate, um, that doesn't come from Jesus. I don't think that that comes from, I don't think that comes from the Holy spirit. I don't think that that comes from a, a true practice of the Christian religion. Um, it comes from these cultural values that are held more dearly than, uh, than the, the core tenets of, of Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's one of the big reasons why a lot of people still want to maintain some of their faith because they like those core Christian values. Um, but the values that are being expressed and the values by which the church is known in America do not line up with, with those values. Right. And it's, it's very, that's, I think that that's, again, that's what causes, that's what starts it for so many people. So, yeah, no, I, I would completely agree with that. And, you know, I mean, 30 years ago, you could say, are you a Christian? And someone would say, yeah, I'm American. You know, it was sort of this, right. like, this cultural idea that, well, if you're, you're from American, you must be a Christian, which mm -hmm. is, you know, they're not synonymous terms, but, um, but now I think what you see is uh, sort of the flip side of that, where a lot of people in the church express themselves more from American values and they do Christian values, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I think one of the ways that, uh, I have seen that is, you know, the way that they supported Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, I mean, and then I think back to when I was in high school in the nineties is when Bill Clinton was being impeached mm -hmm. and yeah. he was being impeached for moral failures, essentially. Right. Right. And the same people that said, this person is not fit to lead our country are now rallying behind someone who I would argue, morally speaking, has done way worse than Bill Clinton. <laughs> and I mean, that's not to, you know, give Clinton the pass. I mean, both guys yeah, have right. some significant moral failures. Right. But the fact that we weren't willing to support one and then we are full hearted gung ho to support the other when we shouldn't have supported either according to Christian values. And so right, right. it's a, it's a big inconsistency. And I think uh, it's something that a lot of people can look at the church and go, you guys are all a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah. And 
un- unfortunately it's, it's like yeah that's that 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 fits pretty well yeah and that that honestly is is a big criticism that that i see a lot which is uh you guys don't even believe your holy scriptures um, mm-hmm. because of how you are expressing your faith versus what the scriptures say. Um, and so it's like, you're, you're telling me that I need to believe X, Y, and Z in order to go to heaven, in order to have a good life. But what I'm seeing in you is that you believe ABC when the Bible says completely differently. So you don't believe it. Why, why do I, why are you telling me that I have to believe it? And yeah. I think to, to come back to something too, um, because this is applicable, um, for for a lot of people in the deconstruction movement, I do believe that a lot of them see the average church person, the maybe even the average pastor, as well-meaning and well-intentioned, um, and that there's there's like a loud minority of Christians who have sort of gone on this bandwagon that that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that is that you have this sort of maybe it's ninety ten right, so maybe you have these ninety percent of people who seem to be who they're not the ones out there saying that you know god hates gays y'all are going to hell they're not the ones right. doing that they're they're nice people honestly but they're also silent mm-hmm. and that's the like that's the big thing is that i i think for your listeners um if, if there's like an actionable item to take out of this it, it would be to and this is this is from me uh, uh, who called myself the local heretic so take this with a grain of salt but <laughs> um you know i i think that uh it, it would be to if you're agreeing with what we're saying then to to use your voice to help change the church i think that the future of the church honestly is on the line i i think when you look at the statistics uh, every generation the last four or five generations there has been significant decreases in Christianity in America. And there will continue to be, if you look at the research on Gen Z, a lot of them say that they're religious. They say that they're spiritual. They're not interested in Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so the the future of the church is on the line. And if you value your Christianity, you value your religion, you value church in America, it would behoove you to begin to speak up about these things and begin to call out these things because from the deconstruction community perspective there is fairly well known that there is 10 percent bad actors but the other 90 percent are also not saying anything mm-hmm. and so that is another major thing that's turning people off is because you could stay in a church with you know everybody's got the the weird uncle who's a little crazy Right. Okay. I can stay in a community with a weird uncle, but when there's a weird uncle and everybody seems to be supporting that weird uncle, even though they're not being mean like he is, but they're still tacitly supporting him. Mm-hmm. That's like, nope, th- this culture is broken. Like that's, that's the, con- that's the uh, conclusion that you, you right. get out. No, I think that's uh I think that's a really great uh, piece of advice. And uh, you know, what's interesting to me is um uh, the few times in recent um, social media posts that I have spoke up against certain things, uh, one of the things I find is um, most people seem to be okay with that. But then you also have, um, you, you sort of take some flack from speaking up from the other side because they're going, oh, yeah. well, you're saying this, but nobody else is. But then you also take some flack from the uh, minority uh, mm-hmm. who are going to say, you know, well, how dare you say this? I mean, I... Uh, you know, a while back, Greg Locke, who is just ridiculous and, you know, gives everybody a bad name. Poster um, child for that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was doing this book ban on or book burning on Halloween. Burning, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did a video saying, look, 
you can't support, you know, Christians can't be supporting this. This is not good. Um, mm -hmm. And we don't want to be burning books and, you know, whatever, right? Uh, I took a lot of flack from that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, from, I mean, primarily from people that supported Greg Locke. But um, I wonder how many people are silent because they're like going, well, I just want to stay out of it. And, and it's like, yeah. well, it's too big of an issue to stay out of. You're going to take some flack, but you got to say something. You got to speak up. And absolutely, um, you know, there's a big difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. This was a kind of a common teaching in the evangelical church when I was a pastor. Mm -hmm. Peace, peacekeepers uh, maintain status quo. Don't don't have any don't have any uh, conflict. We don't want to get awkward. We don't want to have any uh, heated conversation. That's bad. Peacemakers see the problems and try to fix them. Right. Um, and that is there. That's a big difference. Yeah. I mean, I would say Martin Luther King Jr. was a peacemaker. Yes, but absolutely. There wasn't very much peace. I mean, nonviolent resistance died. is peaceful. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. what he was doing did not bring about a lot of peace initially because and, and I mean, you know, we love him today. Mm -hmm. But at the mm -hmm. time, he was very hated. You know, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's FBI why, is that's looking why at he was him. assassinated, yeah. right? So, Absolutely. Uh, but definitely a peacemaker. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the basis of his teachings were uh, the Sermon on the Mount by Christ. And yeah. specifically the idea of turning the other cheek, because that's Jesus's way of saying nonviolent resistance, you know. And mm -hmm. um, when you look at... Uh, you know, even the Sermon on the Mount, when you look at things like the idea of meek, you know, blessed are the meek. Yeah. When you look at the word meek in the, the Greek language uh, at the time, it's this idea of having power under control. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when we look at meek today in, you know, modern culture, it mm -hmm. sounds like, you know, blessed are the meek, meaning like, you know, you know, don't rock the boat. Don't, yeah. you know, just Bless be kind of mild. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's, that's not really what the word means. It means, um, control your power so that mm -hmm. you don't, you know, go raging, but at the same time, stand for the truth. Yeah, and absolutely. That's, that's something that Christians need to be doing is, is taking a stand for what's right and, uh, taking a stand against what others who call themselves Christians are doing that is clearly out of sync, out of alignment with the scriptures and with Christ and so on. Yeah. Um, another sort of question I have for you is, yeah. um, you know, as you sort of work through all this, what role does the Bible now play mm -hmm. in, in your faith? I think that's a great question. Uh, I do still have a scripture reading practice. Um, I use uh, Lectio Divina, uh, a method of reading the Bible to hear God's voice. Mm -hmm. um, not so much to learn about what's right and wrong, although that's important. Um, but but to hear, it's mostly about communion with God. Um, so that's that's primarily how how I use it. It's an encouragement to, um, like I said, I'm very. Uh, uh, compelled by Christian mysticism. And so, mm -hmm. you know, having that experience of the divine on a regular basis. Now there are, there are a lot of people who also feel like me, um, more interested in Christian mysticism, who, who, um, the Bible's very uh, triggering is the word and very triggering for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so they find other ways to interact, um, with God. But for, for me, I always loved, I always love the scriptures. I, I always, I'm a nerd again. I, you know, I love to read. Um, and I just find that it is easy for me to meet God in, in that space. Um, the Psalms are my favorite, um, you know, the pro minor prophets, major prophets, um, you know, minor prophets are always, you know, they have a corner of my heart that will never go away. Um, mm -hmm. and I just, I, you know, I just, I find that 
um, God is very accessible for me in, in those moments. Um, so it is still very important to me. I think that what a lot of people, when I say these things, what they begin to ask is, well, you know, given modern scholarship, which I also do support, um, and, uh, textual criticism and all this stuff for, for those things, how, how is it that you still believe that God can be met in those things? And, uh, because, you know, there, there's been so many layers of edits and, um, there's so many inconsistencies and all this stuff. Um, for, for me, what I always lean back on is I can see God in you, Scott, or in the person who just cut me off in traffic. I can see God in that person in the same way that I can see God in these scriptures. I don't personally, I don't believe in inerrancy. Um, I, I don't accept those things. However, um, the idea that God could be met in a human is way, I think way more controversial, way harder <laughs> <laughs> than meeting God in scriptures that don't always line up with each other. So sure. for for me, it doesn't need to be 100% perfect. It doesn't need to be 100% uh, accurate um, because the point isn't about uh, building my own um, identity in a conservative ideology. The point is meeting um, who, who I believe uh, is the God of the universe. Um, and, and on this topic, so uh, C.S. Lewis talked about, um, he, it's, I think it's in Mere Christianity. It might be in a different one. He talked about, he called it castle building. And he it, this is when people who read, only read one author or one type of literature. And he, he calls it castle building because he says, what you're doing is you're, you're only building up your own views and your own self and your own uh, perspective. What people need to do is get out and and read from a diversity of of things, um, because it's it, you become more and more closed minded, more and more uh, close to people, more and close close to ideas, and because of that, you begin to think very rigidly. When when, I mean, and this is me, not C.S. Lewis, but God is is so much more than what your mind can grasp. So mm -hmm. um, it's really important to not do that. So anyway, my point in saying that is that um, I think with like Dio Divina and with a lot of uh, more script, more Christian mystic scriptural practices, it's not about building your um, belief in an inerrant and perfect scripture. It's about meeting the God of the universe mm -hmm. in that moment. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think it's important very, very much so to read you know, read widely and, um, mm -hmm. uh, help reading widely helps you to understand other people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. And it also allows you to recognize that maybe you didn't have it all right in the first place. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I probably spend, I would say 80% of my time reading stuff outside of my denomination. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people ask me, Oh, did you read the new book from so-and-so? I'm like, no, nah, I don't got time for that. You know, it's <laughs> like, that's just, <laughs> I, I know what that person's going to say. I don't, I don't need to right, read that right. book. Um, but you know, when you're reading other perspectives, it's helping you come out of your own comfort zone and mm -hmm. makes you sort of reflect, well, have I thought about this the right way? And if I have you know, is reading this other perspective strengthening my view? And if I haven't, is reading this other perspective perspective causing me to begin to shift my view? And, mm -hmm. you know, when I, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, people whose ideologies, you know, 30 years ago and today are very different. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think about some of the things I taught 20 years ago and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I know more today than I did then. I think we should always be changing. But as Christians, the goal in the change is to become more Christ-like over time. 
And what has happened with a lot of, especially Christian nationalism, is you've become less Christ-like over time. Um, and and so I, I think that the idea of changing is good, but yeah. the growth hasn't been happening in the right direction for a lot of evangelical churches. Yes. And so that's what's unfortunate. Um, yeah. But well, I was going to say, and to your point, uh, so there's a, there's a line in Alexander Hamilton uh, where he's talking to Aaron Burr, and he he says, "If you stand for nothing, Burr, what do you fall for?" And everybody's like, "Oh, you got him, you got him, Alexander." Um, <laughs> and and I think that you know we've all heard that phrase before: "If you stand for nothing, what do you fall for?" I think that there's a hidden truth in that that most people don't realize which is you can stand for the same things that you you think you stood for 20 years ago but the truth is you are always changing and so in your mind you think i'm still standing for for this i'm standing up for god i'm standing up for church i'm standing up for the bible blah 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 blah. but the truth is that you as a person and your your views on god and script certain scriptures and stuff that has changed and it and it should change God is more, to, if I'm speaking to a Christian audience, what I'm saying is God is more than your mind can conceive. Uh -huh. And you believe, like you believe that that's, that is settled theology, right? Um, so it, it only makes sense that your views on God 20 years ago will be different now. Um, and it, that doesn't mean that you have to give up your faith. It doesn't mean that, that the Bible is, um, uh, errant. It, do, it doesn't, it doesn't mean this. Thing. It just means that you're learning more and you're changing more. And if you value that, if you value, I'm going to change my mind about God for God, then you, you won't fall prey to this sort of, uh, logical fallacy that, oh, no, I'm still Christian. I'm still standing for this. And then you're, you're blind to the change that is coming your way and has happened. And mm -hmm. I think that, that, um, that concept it just could be really important for people. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And uh, I think that when we look at, um, you know, scripture, it talks about loving God with your mind. Uh, you know, that's in the Shema, right? Deuteronomy 6, love God yeah. with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mm -hmm. mind. And, you know, God gave us minds. Oz Guinness wrote a book a number of years ago called Thin Bodies, Fat Minds. Mm -hmm. uh, and the book is about how we spend all this time taking care of ourselves, but we don't we don't exercise mentally. We don't get our mm -hmm. minds in shape. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you, when you love God with all your mind, you're going to be digging into, uh, ideas from other people. You're going to be digging into, uh, claims that people make from other sides of the aisle. And as you do that, you make conscious decisions to classify the information you receive. You know, I'm going to classify this yep. is accurate. This is inaccurate. And sometimes you classify things incorrectly. And as you learn more over time, you make reclassifications. And that's how you should be growing in your knowledge of the faith. Uh, that's also how you should be growing in your knowledge as a person in general. But um, yep. in order to do that, you know, you've got to turn on your mind when you're taking in art. You've got to turn on your mind when you pick up a book or when you read an article on the news or when you're watching TikTok or scrolling through Facebook posts, you know, and, and you've got to ask yourself, what is this person saying? Why are they saying it? How should I interpret it? And how does that reflect what I believe? Or how does that relate to what I believe? Is it a challenge? Is it a, you know, does it build my faith? Does it strengthen it? Or uh, does this cause me to think, I wonder if I wasn't right about that? And, um, yeah. you know, and if you wonder, that's okay. Explore that and, and see where the evidence leads you. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, when it comes to um, ideas of, you know, say, 
you know, the Bible and, you know, there's obviously there's textual changes over time. A lot of those have been tracked and traced. Many of them have to do with spelling errors and words out of order. There was no erasers. You know, you couldn't, uh, if you missed a word, you missed the word. You put it where you where you had the open space. And, um, you know, there's a lot of that. But there are some significant situations in scripture where you think, okay, how do these two things fit together? And uh, for some, you know, they need to they need to really mesh that out. And for others, they can go, well, it doesn't really matter. And um, because what I'm learning from these passages is both, you know, it's important in both passages what I'm learning from them. And, and I think that's good. But um, as you look at scripture, you know, uh, even recognizing that there were edits and stuff like that, you know, if you are someone who does hold to inerrancy, you know, why would you not think that if, you know, another prophet comes in and edits a book later on, they're not also working under the inspiration of the spirit. Right. And uh, in the same way, um, you know, God in allowing scripture to be written, allowed people to write it from their perspectives in their own style, in their own uh, way of wording things. You know, if God just mechanically dictated scripture, to everybody, there would be one unified voice throughout it. But that's not how he chose to do it. Um, and in the same way, God convicts people today and people have the gift of, you know, uh, giving prophetic words and they can speak from their convictions in a way that means something to someone. And that doesn't mean we need to take what they you know, said and throw it into the Bible. Uh, mm-hmm. But it does mean that um, you know, we need to be open minded enough to know that God can work through various forms, various venues and you know, if we recognize that he, uh, you said he's bigger than we can understand. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things I sometimes say is God transcends our logic and transcends mm-hmm. our uh, our ability to grasp him. You know, we we can know all about God that he wants us to know, but we can't know more about him than he wants us to know because he's a greater being than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, with all of that, we still try to put God in a box. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that gets people into trouble in their church practices when they start thinking, this is how God does it. This is how God moves. This is how God works. Yeah. And if he does anything outside of that, then we reject that. Well, mm-hmm. Why do we need to reject? I mean, that's not a free for all. It's like, you know, you know, some things are outside the bounds, but there's got to be a little bit more room for gray. And we can't just be calling everybody a heretic just because they have a difference of opinion about right. some random issue, you know, uh, in, in scripture. And so, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, you'll hear people go, Oh, that guy doesn't, you know, believe that the, the worldwide flood happened. It was just a local flood. So he's a heretic. Mm-hmm. Why, why would that make you a heretic? You know, I mean, right. Right. Uh, I'm not sure so, that the flood is a core doctrine of, of Christianity. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's, an, it's important, but it's not like a core doctrine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, so one of my words of encouragement, I think for people listening is that if you know someone who's deconstructing, don't automatically label the person as a heretic. Don't automatically um, think this person's apostate, you know, or that they are now an atheist or that they were quote, never saved to begin with, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, these are, they're hurtful tropes that don't really fit, you know, and, and, if someone says, hey, I'm deconstructing, take time to talk to them, ask them about what they're going through, ask them why they're going through it, what led them, you know, what was their process and and get to know and understand where they're at. And, you know, you might be surprised to find that you still have a lot more common ground than you thought. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. 
So, well, Josh, it's been great to have you on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. And uh, for those of you guys listening, we will see you again next time on the Faith and Culture Now podcast. Thanks so much. Have a great one.